You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Today, Leah and I are excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time our new board member, Thomas Chapman, who was sworn in as the 46th board member on January 6th earlier this year. Thank you for joining us today, Member Chapman. We are very uh, excited to have you on today and learn more about you. Um, Your detailed bio is available online on ntsb.gov, but it shows a solid background in aviation safety in both the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, as well as federal government. But it's all focused on uh, policy and government work. However, your undergraduate degree is a Bachelor of Fine Arts in music, which I found very interesting. (laughs) And then you graduated from law school. So can you tell us how and when did transportation and specifically aviation come into play in your career? Sure. Well, the music background, uh, I had a somewhat eclectic uh array of interests as I was trying to decide what to do in college. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed music a lot. I had an opportunity to do some really fascinating things, including perform with our college chorus at Carnegie Hall. I'm glad oh, I wow. I'm, I'm glad I did all those things. I would have starved to death if I had relied <laughs> upon uh, my music <laughs> my music talents to to get me through life. And uh, I also had other interests that uh I really wanted to pursue, in, including an interest in uh, in government and the legislative process. And uh, that was the reason I went to law school. And I actually targeted law school as something I wanted to do um, probably my sophomore, junior year in college. So I, I went to law school. I wanted to go to law school in Washington. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did. I went to American University uh, uh, Law School here in Washington, D.C. I... I got involved in aviation. I had already always been interested in aviation, but mm-hmm. uh, I got involved in, in aviation. Actually, my, my first, uh, legal type job, um, when I was, I guess it, I guess a second year law student, uh, law school's typically three years. As a second year law student, I went to the placement office at, at the school and started going through, uh, listings. And one of them was for a, law firm that advertised as needing someone to do legislative work and aviation law. It didn't, didn't indicate what the, <clears throat> what the specific organization was, but those two things sounded uh, interesting to me. I was quite interested in aviation. I had come to Washington to get involved in legislative work and government work. And so I applied for the job. Uh, I, I got the job. It turned out it was the general counsel's office for Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which is a large association in Washington, represent mm-hmm. represents general aviation pilots and uh, aircraft owners. And uh, I, I started with AOPA when I was in law school. Um, they hired me on full time when I graduated from law school, and I ended up being there at AOPA for the next seventeen years, kind of moving up the moving up the ranks. And uh, I left there. Um, as I was senior vice president for government and technical affairs when I left. So um, it it's one of those things. It was pure happenstance, but it was uh, it was an area that I, I knew I was interested in and would enjoy. And it was two things that I wanted to focus on, both aviation and uh, and and uh, and government affairs. And, and so that's that's how I got to uh, got on the track that ended up taking me through the rest of my career up to this point. 
Okay. And during your time at AOPA, did you get your pilot's license during that time? I did. AOPA encouraged uh, staff to, if they weren't already pilots, and, and, mm-hmm. and many of the folks at AOPA are pilots, many of them are longtime pilots. <clears throat> I wasn't. I didn't have I didn't have any flying experience. It was certainly something I was interested in doing. Mm-hmm. They, ha- they had a program where they actually subsidized uh, uh, flying lessons for staff that were interested in pursuing that. We were uh, headquartered at uh, Frederick Municipal Airport in Frederick, Maryland, and so we actually would uh, go out at lunchtime and take a lesson or two or, or after work. And uh, I, I, I can recall skipping lunches and going out and practicing uh, takeoffs and landings for an hour or so and then coming back in and going back to work. But yes, I, I did get my license while I was at AOPA. I'm not a high-time pilot. I haven't flown a lot. I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. Never never flown anything more complicated than a simple Cessna 172, but it's it's certainly something that uh, uh, I enjoy and actually wish I had more time to do even today. Wow, that's so cool. It, it's so- a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Flying is, is it's one of those things. Sometimes it's hard to find the right combination of uh, you know, your own time and an available mm-hmm, sure. airplane and, and certainly the weather. But when you can find the right combination, getting out in an airplane is, is a really exhilarating experience. And so do you do you still fly? Are you current on your license? I haven't flown for a long time. I'm not current. Uh, of course, you have to have a medical certificate, and that's mm-hmm. can sometimes be a little daunting, especially, I think, <laughs> as you get older, the, the medical certificate gets a little bit harder to check all the right boxes. But I haven't flown for a long time, at least on my own. I've been in airplanes with other folks and mm-hmm. take, taken the wheel a little bit. But uh, I miss it. I wish I wish I had more time to do it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I am sure there are plenty of people around the agency that would be able to help you uh, get back in a plane and get your certifications <laughs> back up. Uh, yeah, I, a few people I'm come actually, to mind. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, I, I, that had occurred to me because I've been in the Senate the last several years, and there aren't a lot of people working in the United States Senate who have pilot's licenses. But at NTSB, we have a lot of folks that are very, very skilled pilots, very capable in terms of uh, their own abilities, but also uh, their, their, you know, there's the qualifications to provide instruction. So it's certainly something I'd like to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I had the opportunity to go through a little bit of ground school. Um, some of the the pilots at NTSB offered it for a few of us um, during lunchtime. I am sad to say that I did not complete the course. I don't think that flying an airplane is <laughs> is necessarily in my future, but I learned a lot, um, and it was a very cool experience to sit through that. Well, the ground school, in many ways, I think is the most important part of learning to be a pilot because there's so much... There's a lot you have to learn in terms of knowledge um, uh, and, and, you know, skills in terms of how to uh, navigational skills, for example, you know, weather knowledge, those sorts of things. Um, The actual physical skills involved in in flying an airplane are, are, I frankly think, in many respects, easier than driving an automobile. But uh, where people get in trouble is... uh, is weather or you know navigational issues, technical issues. Um, certainly, you, you know there are, there are phases of flight that are more difficult than others. But when you're just at at cruise altitude and flying the airplane, it's a it's a relatively easy task in terms of the physical skills. 
Uh, so the ground school, actually, I think in many respects is, is the most important, certainly a very important part of learning to be sure. a pilot. Right. During your time with AOPA, did you interact much with, um, with NTSB and the, and the staff of, of the agency? I did some, not an awful lot. Uh, where I actually became more involved with NTSB, and I never have actually worked a lot with NTSB from the outside, but I became uh, uh, more, certainly more aware of and more involved with NTSB's work during my time with the airlines. After I left AOPA, I went to Southwest Airlines. I was there for nine years, uh, left Southwest, and then uh, 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 had a a time at um, U.S. Airways prior to the merger with American Airlines. I was there for six years or seven years. Uh, I'm very happy to say that there were no um, major uh, fatal accidents while I was at either airline. Uh, Southwest Airlines did, towards the end of my time there, have its, its actually its very first fatal accident, a very tragic accident involving a, a young boy who was killed. Um, uh, but I wasn't really involved in that investigation. The, um, the, the, the one that was the most interesting to me and where I actually had the most interaction with NTSB was uh, Flight 1549, which is uh, the, the famous incident where the, the aircraft landed on the Hudson River after uh, having sure. in ingested geese into the engines. Mm -hmm. I, I was not the point person by any respect with, with regard to uh, U.S. Airways work with NTSB during that time frame, but I was aware of it, had some involvement behind the scenes in terms of some of sure. the work that was going on, and followed that very closely because that was uh, important to the company, but also just a just a fascinating time, uh, it, not only in terms of U.S. Airways, but but I think in many respects aviation history. That was such such an incredible event and such an historic. Uh, a, a series of uh, circumstances. Mm -hmm, right. And so just following your trajectory, you were at AOPA and then uh, Southwest, then um, U.S. Airways, you said? Right. Okay. Right, right. And then you uh, went up to the Hill, correct? I did. I um, I was very fortunate. We had, uh, my my family and I had, had done very well through all those years. And, um frankly financially we were we were very comfortable um mm -hmm. uh, much of that not all of it but much of it was as a result of the uh the merger US Airways and American Airlines i i took what was effectively the buyout package whenever you have a merger you have two of everything and 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 somebody has to get off the bus and um <laughs> i i took the the package that uh, was actually a very generous package um did very well, I believe very much in public service. I found myself at a point in my career where I could afford to do what I wanted to do and not what I had to do. And sure. uh, so I sought an opportunity. I knew that the I knew that the House and Senate would soon be working on a, a major FAA reauthorization bill, <clears throat> which they do periodically every every three, four, five years. Uh, I knew that that effort was coming up. I knew that they would want to staff up for it. And I had good relationships with the, with the, uh, with, with the folks, uh, on the key committees that, that deal with aviation. So I approached the leadership, Senator Rockefeller's team on the aviation subcommittee. He was at that time the chairman of the, I'm sorry, chairman of the, the of the Commerce Committee. Mm 
I, I went to him and his team about the possibility of joining the aviation subcommittee staff to uh, help work on uh, on the FAA reauthorization. That was really the only thing that I sought to do after leaving U.S. Airways, and um, they uh, they were seemed very pleased to have have me join the team. I was thrilled to do it. Um, for all the for all the bad news you hear about Washington, um, the United States Congress, the United States Senate, still a pretty pretty awesome, pretty uh, interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. And I was thrilled to have that opportunity. I worked there for six years. We did complete the work on the FAA bill. In fact, we, we did two major FAA bills during, the, during my time there. Uh, so I was there for six years, enjoyed it very much. It's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a young person sport. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as a young person, but there were certainly times when it was, it was pretty grueling. I can remember a couple of, of committee markups where the staff worked until three or four in the morning the night before. Um, and then, you know, had maybe an hour or, t- or two at the most to go home and sleep and, you know, brush your hair or whatever you needed to do and, and get back to the, get back to the Senate in time for a, a 10 o'clock markup in the morning. Those were pretty rough. I don't think, uh, I don't think I've got any of those left in me, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it. It was, it, it was, it was fascinating. It was rewarding. And frankly, it was a lot of fun. And during your time there at the Senate, um, what was your exposure to NTSB um, safety reports and accident investigations? Yeah, well, I had ex- exposure to NTSB in a couple of different ways. Certainly, I followed some of the major uh, accident investigations, accident, accident work going on, most notably the 737 MAX issues where NTSB has been involved mm-hmm. in the international efforts on that. Uh, uh, there were other accidents uh, that were of particular interest to us. There was a very tragic accident uh, involving uh, uh, a sightseeing balloon down in Texas during my time on the committee. Yeah. We, we followed that very closely. Uh, the other, the the other aspect of of NTSB, though, uh, the the Senate Commerce Committee, which was uh, the committee that I worked for in the Aviation Subcommittee, we had jurisdiction over. NTSB oversight jurisdiction over NTSB. And as a part of the major FAA bill that we did, we also did a reauthorization of NTSB. Mm. These reauthorization bills are an opportunity to take a look at policy issues and process issues at various agencies and make whatever adjustments or reforms are appropriate. And so we did do an NTSB authorization at the same time we did the FAA bill. So those were my uh, those were my two opportunities to to get to know NTSB better, both through the accident investigations that we were following, and then through the reauthorization process for the agency itself. So during during that time on the Hill, mm-hmm. when did the opportunity present itself, or when did you realize that you wanted to seek a board position with NTSB? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I I actually didn't seek it. Um, I, uh, we learned, several of us who, uh, who were the points of contact, uh, we learned that there was going to be a vacancy on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a, uh, a, a democratic, uh, seat. Um, uh, as you know, the, the, the way the board is structured, <clears throat> there's a makeup of democratic nominees and, and Republican nominees. 
So there was a vacancy coming open that would be typically a, a, a Democratic uh, seat. And several of my colleagues came to me to talk to me about it. And I thought they were coming to see if I had ideas for people that might be appropriate. And uh, turns turns, <laughs> I told them I was going to put my thinking cap on. And it turns out they came to talk to me about it. And I was... <laughs> I was surprised. I was um, I was very flattered by it, and 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 frankly honored that they would that they would think that highly of me. And so I I uh, I thought it over. I talked to my wife, and we decided that 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 sounded like a, a rewarding opportunity to continue what again I believe is important, which is is public service. And so <clears throat> they then went back to to our bosses, the senior staff on the committee. And uh, talked it over, and uh, it was then taken to Senator Bill Nelson from Florida, who at the time was the senior Democrat on the Senate Commerce Committee. Mm. He thought it was a good idea. He took it to Senator Schumer, who's the Democratic leader in the Senate. Senator Schumer uh, then uh, took up the cause and uh, submitted my name to the White House for uh, for consideration. And then uh, as the process works, uh, the White House, of course, has to... Uh, uh, has to agree that it's an appropriate individual to be nominated, but ultimately I was nominated by the president. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's how that came about. It wasn't something that I sought. It was something that surprised me. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm delighted it happened because I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm enjoying it. And I really do feel uh, uh, the, the rewarding opportunity to engage in public service is something that uh, I, I think people don't understand just how, how important that is and, and how uh, incredibly rewarding it can be. And just a little segue or a little side side note, it is Public Safety Recognition Week. And even though when this podcast airs, it'll be past the week, I think it's always cool to talk to people about their public service experience and their journey and everything. So we're definitely happy to have you as a board member. Well, thank you. Thank you. Tell me about when you did get the call from the president. What was that like for you? Well, the process, the way it works is there's a, a very uh, thorough vetting uh, process that occurs first on the Democratic side in terms of, a, of this particular seat. So Senator Schumer put me through a, a, a very thorough vetting process first. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, he and his staff send it over to the White House, and uh, and they, of course, have to decide that that's that that's an appropriate individual to nominate. And so, by the time I received the phone call from the White House, this had been going on for I don't know a couple of months at least. I think maybe mm -hmm. maybe, maybe maybe three months. And um, you know, you so much happens during that time frame that. <clears throat> You almost forget that it's going on because there's this sort of constant drumbeat of of paperwork and questions and phone calls and emails mm -hmm. going back and forth. And I remember it, it really was a very meaningful moment. Um, it actually came through an email, not a phone call. I got an email from uh, one of the folks in the Office of Presidential Personnel uh, indicating mm -hmm. that my name had been submitted and I was going to be nominated. It... Uh, it's 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 a pretty amazing feeling. It's it's one of those things that uh, you know most people just it, it, you probably um, never imagine is going to happen to you, 
And uh, no matter what your politics, no matter how you feel about whoever it is in the White House at the time, mm-hmm. it's quite an honor. It is quite an honor to be uh, to be nominated by, by the President of the United States. Absolutely. Before you started at the board, did you have any expectations or ideas of what it would be like to be a board member? I had a pretty good idea of what the uh, what the role of the members was and what their uh, you know what their various responsibilities were because I had I had uh, uh, been in- involved with the board in various capacities over the years. Certainly, certainly the time that we spent working on the NTSB authorization, I. Uh, I learned a lot. We, we were responsible for vetting other nominees to the board, so sure. I, I knew mm-hmm. I knew quite a bit about what the board members' roles were, and and and. But even at that, I was I was somewhat surprised. And one of the things I think that has surprised me the most, probably the majority of the work that we do actually is is uh, we review and evaluate and comment and ultimately vote on a wide range of uh, written products mm-hmm. that the agency produces. That actually was not a, not a task that I fully appreciated or understood. And I, I enjoy it a lot because it's, it's the way that I, uh, I mean, some of the materials are quite technical in nature and it takes a little time to study them and we have other folks that help us understand and and uh, and evaluate, but uh, I'm learning a lot because of that. And of course, my background in aviation, I don't have the strong background in some of the other modes of transportation. And it's it's the work on reviewing and commenting, and then ultimately voting on those products, where I find that I'm learning the most about other modes of transportation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you obviously knew yeah. that you would be going out on. Uh, major accident investigations, and you had your training investigation um, just before we went into our maximum telework um, status. Is that correct? I did. End of January. Um, I've only been on one launch, mm-hmm. and I accompanied uh, Member Hamandy on the launch for the, uh, the, the Kobe Bryant accident in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, very tragic circumstances. Um, uh, very, very troublesome to be there, I think, for me personally, um, mm-hmm. particularly the nature of some of the other folks who lost their lives in that accident, the, mm-hmm. the young people involved. Having said that, for me, uh, in terms of my dedication to the mission of the agency and learning about the role of the agency and investigating accidents like this, and trying to determine what happened, trying to help ensure that similar accidents don't occur in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot. It was a fascinating experience to be there, as difficult as it was. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the agency itself. I learned about a lot about the uh, investigative process. And I learned a lot about the interaction between NTSB and the various other agencies, both state, local, federal, that are involved mm-hmm. in, in that kind of an investigation. So that's the only... Uh, 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 launch that I've been on. And of course, I, I think all of us have concerns about the extent to which we'll be able to do that anytime here in the near future. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I was pleased at least that I had the opportunity to experience it firsthand. <clears throat> Obviously, not pleased about the circumstances under right. which it occurred. Of course. Do you, um, 
do you uh, now that um, now that you're a few months into your role as a board member, do you have any particular goals for your first year as a board member? Well, <laughs> to get out of the house would be <laughs> a, a good one. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I, I will say I'm very impressed at how we have managed to keep the work of the agency moving forward. I think NTSB is uh, uh, better equipped than many federal agencies to work remotely as we are because so much of the work of the of our team is is done remotely uh, mm-hmm. right. as a as a matter of course. So we have both the experience and and the technology to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, um, I I I would like to have an opportunity to engage more in some of the advocacy work that board members typically do. Mm-hmm. And that does involve, uh, not exclusively, but certainly it would be easier to do, more effective, I think, in many respects, if we could get out on the road again and do some travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I think part of part of what all of us are wrestling with is trying to find ways that we can do more of that advocacy work and do it remotely, but uh, that would be that would be one of my objectives during this first year would to be would be to see if I could accomplish more in terms of the advocacy piece of what NTSB does. We look forward to engaging with you more on that. As as part of the advocacy team, we too mm-hmm. are are anxious to to get back and be able to do that more face to face advocacy work that we do. Um, but this uh, leads us to. Um, one of the the um, advocacy um, efforts that the board members are involved in is is advocating for the issues on our most wanted list. And when you came on board, you um, are have taken over the the lead for our medical fitness and also our end alcohol and drug impairment issues on the most wanted list. Mm-hmm. Would you share a little bit? I know that when you came on, there were there were four issues to choose from because we did have three board members on board, but um, was there anything that stood out about those two that seemed like a good fit for you? Well, I think I, I think both of them are are somewhat similar in nature. I mean, they have to do with the physical ability of individuals to operate vehicles, uh, in, engage in whatever role they're uh, you know they're involved in in transportation. So it both of them have to do with the physical capability. And, and, and there are issues that involve, uh, factors that are in many respects under the control of the individual. Right. Uh, certainly drug and alcohol impairment, uh, under the control of the individual, recognizing that, um, you know, struggling with drug and alcohol addiction is, is difficult and, and is, is really an illness in itself. But, mm-hmm. Those, these are things that the individual, if they are, if they are able to, can, can deal with, can be addressed on, on an individual basis. Um, sleep apnea, uh, medical fitness, sleep apnea, uh, similar sort of thing. Now, one of the problems with sleep apnea is that if it hasn't been detected, many people don't realize that they, that they have sleep apnea. But again, once it's detected, if there's a system in place uh, uh, for detecting it, it can be treated, it can be dealt with. And so there are some similarities, I think, in both areas. 
And that was part of why uh, I, I wanted to focus on those two areas. Are there any particular safety recommendations from those two areas that you'd like to see implemented before this most wanted list cycle ends? Yeah, I think speaking kind of generally, because there are there are a number that that, that overlap, but mm-hmm. in the drug and alcohol impairment area, um, one of our recommendations is for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to uh, to put forward to states a essentially a common protocol, a common system for for mm-hmm. drug drug testing. And there's some challenges in that area, but I think that's one that I would really like to see in, in the area of drug and alcohol impairment. I mm-hmm. think it's I think it's doable. I don't know where the agency where I don't know where NHTSA stands at this point in uh on that and I don't know how much that might be complicated by uh by the pandemic that we're dealing mm-hmm. with. But I think I that seems like one that is doable uh, and I'd like to see that one that one go forward in the area of uh, of sleep apnea. Um, uh, we have recommendations out to a, a range of agencies uh, because the uh, in terms of uh, shipping and uh, uh, you know tr- trucking and and rail transportation. There are a variety of agencies involved, but mm-hmm. fundamentally, what we have recommended across the board is. Uh, is 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 to ensure that companies agencies have programs in place for detecting and then treating sleep apnea i'd like to see more of that occur i think to expect that's going to happen uh in totality in a in a short time frame is probably not uh not realistic i think this is going to take a number of years but I'd like to see some major progress in that area anyway, to see more agencies, more more companies putting programs in place to help detect sleep apnea and then to ensure that people are being treated properly for it. Treating sleep apnea is is is, is not especially difficult mm-hmm. once it's once it's detected, but the challenge here is ensuring that it's detected. Right. And unfortunately in far too many cases we have seen after the fact that um, an undiagnosed uh, obstructive sleep apnea has contributed to the cause of uh, a crash or a train derailment. And so um, knowing from, from you know, public health and from our perspective, it, it is a treatable condition um, that can be managed, like you said, if, if people are screened for it um, and they can get the treatment that they need. Well, and, and I actually, I was diagnosed with sleep ap- apnea myself a number of years ago, probably five or six years ago. I had no idea, no idea at all. And uh, my doctor was, uh, I went in for a routine physical. He was somewhat concerned that I, you know, I, I was somewhat of a classic case for it. And, and so he ran me through some initial screening. I did and did the formal sleep study that's necessary to really come up with a full diagnosis. And uh, I was, I was stunned. I had, I really had no idea. It, it is, as I said, it's, it's relatively easy to treat and mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel better for it. And uh, uh, I, I think that's the real challenge is ensuring that we have means in place for, uh, for detecting it so that people can get the treatment that they need. Like the, um, like most of the nation, we are maximum in a place of maximum telework right now um, for the agency. And just recently we held our first board meeting virtually, which was your second board meeting. Is that correct? That was my second board meeting. Yes. And how was that experience for you? Well, I, 
it wasn't dramatically different from the board meeting that my my first board meeting, which was actually in the in the boardroom mm-hmm. uh, at NTSB headquarters. And I think the reason it wasn't is because we did such a good job of preparing for the virtual meeting. Mm-hmm. We we did have a couple of rehearsals with uh, uh, with essentially um, fictitious facts that we were dealing with, so that it was as as close to the real thing as possible. We did a couple of those. Both in both to help us practice with the technology, but to practice, uh, uh, you know, kind of the give and take as far as Q and A and timing ourselves and and uh, interaction with the staff. <clears throat> I think the rehearsals helped a lot. By the time we got to the to the actual board meeting, uh, it we were prepared for it. It wasn't significantly different. I don't think in terms of our experience. To participating in a in a live board meeting in the boardroom, uh, it was uh, I, I thought a, a a very productive exercise, um, and I I was very proud of the of our of our teams because I know there was a lot of work that went on behind the, the scenes. I was very proud of our teams for for putting everything together and making it work and uh, enabling us to go forward with that, particularly in the in because of the nature, the accident was was such a tragedy mm-hmm. for us to be able to continue with our work and uh, and and have the meeting and produce the report uh, and do it virtually. I think is quite a testament to the skill of our of our technical teams and our investigative teams that uh, that work with us to make that meeting happen. Mm-hmm. It has been really fascinating. Um, pretty much everyone that we talk to um, has kind of the same the same feedback and the same feeling about the virtual board meeting and that, you know, the teamwork that came together between the, you know, the modes and CIO and, and communications and all the board members and the practice and everything has really uh, been really amazing. And it really, I think, emphasizes just how committed everyone is to the mission to, you know, to find out what happened and to to carry on, even though we have this big challenge and obstacle in front of us to actually do the work and and get the message out in terms of what we what we want to see change to improve safety. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Have you have you faced any unexpected challenges um, working working remotely, or has it been pretty pretty easy transition for you? It's been a pretty easy transition, actually. Um, you know, we're well equipped. Um, we've gotten better equipped as this has gone on. We, we've, we've had some resources added to our, our toolbox. Um, the computer that I use at home is essentially the same computer I have at work because it's, right. it's, it's my laptop that I plug into the docking station. So I have everything I need. I have all the documents I need. I have access to the, to the network. Um, the main the main difference is that uh, you know we're not able to travel we're not able mm-hmm. to travel in terms of the investigatory work and we're not able to travel in terms of the advocacy work i think that's the main difference but in terms of the day-to-day flow of the work and meetings that we have and um you know documents that have to be reviewed or written uh, it it hasn't been significantly different other than the fact that i'm doing it at my kitchen table instead of doing it in my <laughs> office <laughs> And on a um, just on a personal uh, on a personal note, you're um, you know you're teleworking at your home, and so you get a little bit more family time. And your son is about to graduate 
high school. And so you actually kind of get some extra bonus time with him um, as he leads up to a, a new chapter in his life. It's true. And in many respects, I've talked to some other parents, I think you feel similarly as, as, as awful as the current circumstances are. Mm-hmm. From a personal standpoint, we're, we're kind of enjoying being able to spend as much time together as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not entirely sure, of course, what college is going to look like next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're anticipating that uh, he's going to be home here with us for a while, probably taking some classes uh, virtually down in his man cave in the basement. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's the the silver lining here for us is is that we're getting to spend some time with uh, our son. My wife and I were late parents, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's our one and only. And uh, he's uh, you know he, he's 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 quite a fine young man, and we're enjoying the extra time with him. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we saw you and had a chance to talk with you, he was deciding on a school. Have, has he made a decision? He has, and uh, I, th- I think I can say this because by the time, <laughs> by the time I think we're we're, we're actually going to share this with folks, he will have done all the 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 steps necessary to to make it formal. But he'll be at George Mason University, and oh, um, wow, right look- down the street from me. Yep, yep. We we looked at a couple of other schools, and uh, the circumstances I think are such that we're we're going to be more comfortable having him close to home. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll be uh, very likely managing in business, and he will mm-hmm. be playing hockey for the George Mason University hockey team. So we're excited to get to see him play some more hockey too. Absolutely That's great! Well, congratulations! Thank you. Thanks, um, Member Chapman. Do you have anything? We're getting to the uh, to the end of our podcast, so I want to um, offer you an opportunity to share any final thoughts before we close out. Well, I just want to say I've been. Uh, I've been so impressed by the all the all the incredibly talented uh, people that I've met at NTSBA during my short time here, and and very impressed actually with the unique culture of the agency. Um, it's a very close knit group of folks. People mm-hmm. work very well together. Uh, they are incredibly dedicated to the mission, and I just I I'm. I'm impressed and I'm honored to be a part of that. And I hope that I can contribute in some way. Thank you. Stephanie, do you have any final thoughts before we close out? Member uh, Chapman, thank you so much for joining us. And um, it was really nice to hear you talk about um, public public service. And as Mm -hmm. Leah mentioned, we're taping this with you during public service uh, recognition week. And so I think our conversation has just reminded us how really great of a place NTSB is to work um, and why we are often one of the, the best small agencies to, to work for um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the federal government. So thank you for your time. Thank you. And you all please stay safe. We absolutely will. Thank you, Member Chapman, for joining us today for a podcast. And thank you, Stephanie, for being an awesome co-host. Thank you, James, for uh, coordinating us all uh, remotely and making us sound uh, as great as we do. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in for another episode. We will see you next time. Thank you for joining us.